Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome everybody to Inside LA Long Beach Sunday Sit. Uh, yeah, today's a special day because um, the founder of Inside LA, Trudy Goodman, uh, will be visiting later today at uh, Seaport Marina Hotel at uh, 2 to 5 p.m. We're really excited about that, and I thought that today we would talk about uh, the importance or the role of spiritual teachers, spiritual mentors, and a warm-up for Trudy's visit today. So, you know, I think in the, in the West especially, there's a lot of different uh, opinions about spiritual teachers and even the necessity of teachers. Uh, we're brought up in a culture for most of us that's very eclectic, uh, especially in regards to a spiritual path. If you're brought up in Tibet, for example, you're born and you, you're in your crib and you look at all these Buddhas and there's your, your parents' gurus on the wall and uh, their uh, gurus' gurus on the wall and you're just kind of brought up into it, right? So it's very easy. You're just like, oh, this is, this is how it is. And there's not much... Uh, even search seeking for different paths or you know what's right what's wrong it's a very very easy process you're just brought up into it and this is how it is in a lot of different different cultures so it's very simple but uh what i call like california spirituality we're just we go to the bookstore we learn about teachers and gurus and and whatnot and we're kind of trying to figure it out all the time like which one's best and uh, which one's the fastest and which one's the newest and and this person, are they for real, are they not real, are they enlightened, are they not enlightened, so it's this big thing, you know? And, and I think that the starting point is the different uh, aspects of teachers and I'll just kind of use an example more from the Tibetan tradition or Buddhist tradition is, is that they have different different levels of teachers. You have, you have some teachers who are just like spiritual friends. They call them spiritual friends. They might be on the path a little bit longer than you. And, and so you confide in them to kind of show you the ropes as you go along. You know, when I, would, when I first started, I would say this all the time, well, wait until we get some real teachers down here. <laughs> <laughs> then you guys will see. So we have that that level of teacher, and it could literally just be a friend that um, that you know who's been meditating for a while, and they start talking about meditation and this and that, and and this is this is very helpful. Some of the most beneficial relationships on my spiritual path have been my my spiritual friends. There's one in particular. His name is Dorje, and he worked with me at the Media Lab, Atlanta Medicine Buddha. And he was an encyclopedia of Buddhism. He was so incredible. So we would be working and editing these videos that we would be taking of the lamas. And as we're working all day long for two years, Dorje downloaded 
amazing knowledge to me, and I'm indebted to him to this day. Just incredible, incredible teacher for me. Even though I don't think he saw himself as a quote-unquote teacher, he was an incredible teacher for me. So we have those, those types of teachers. Then we have more of, I guess, a standard word of like guru-type teacher. Like in Tibetan tradition, we'd call uh, these teachers Rinpoches. And these beings are uh, known for their omniscience. They're, owned for the, they're known uh, for their realization that they've already attained certain realizations. They know their true nature of their mind. Therefore, they could show you your true nature. And they're known for their compassion. And this is a very, very rare and very, very special being, right? Very hard to find. So traditionally speaking, they would say, this is very traditional speaking, you should, you should seek out this type of what we call root guru. You should spend about 12 years look, uh, making sure they're the right ones. This is like you know, ancient stories of, of disciples used to hang around the sangha of great teachers for about 12 years to get a, a good read on these teachers. And there's one story, the student comes to a teacher and says, well, I've been hanging around for about 12 years, and I've decided that uh, you'd be a great teacher for me. And the master looks at him and he says, okay, well, why don't you hang around me for 12 years, and I'll see if you're a good student for me. <laughs> and the point of that is to use your wisdom you really have to be sure if you're going to you know, commit in that way to really make sure that this person is, is uh, what, what they say they are and they're making the benefits in, this, in their students' lives that you want to see in your own life. So you look at things like how compassionate they are, loving kindness, all this stuff. It's very difficult because we only see what's on the outside and the spiritual realm is more on the inside. So it's very difficult, right? So we have to see their actions. And then also, also a big part of this is to see the lineage. This is really important. What we mean by that is that if there is just somebody who comes about and says, I'm a realized being and these are my teachings and has nobody vouching for them, then it's even more difficult, right? But if you have a long lineage of these realized beings and and they're coming together saying yes this person is part of our community and they're booing each other up and so this comes some kind of checks and balances in the Tibetan tradition this is very common where someone like the Karmapa, the Dalai Lama or Chodron Rinpoche, Lama Zopa they all agree and say yeah this person is an incarnated Lama this is a Rinpoche so they vouch for each other and they could also say, yeah, not, sure, not so sure about that one. <laughs> and, and they do sometimes. And even a place like inside LA, you know, against the stream, these, these, um, a lot of the Zen, a lot of the Zen uh, traditions, uh, the, the Theravada tradition, the Hindu traditions, the, the Swami lineages, they do the same thing where they, they vouch for each other, right? It's a, even, let's say, inside L.A., which we consider a lot of, like, secular, if you trace it back, there's the Sharon Salzberg and Jack Kornfield and John Kabat-Zinn and, you know, Tara Brock being in, coming into the fold and, 
and Trudy. It's a, it's a lineage, right? It's a lineage. So this is, this is very important. And so on that level, on this, on this level of omniscience, and this is why we say may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, is that these beings that have those realizations, they can see instantly the karmas of their students. They can see, they say, the, since beginningless time, they see their karmas and they know exactly what that individual needs exactly at that time. To, to reach enlightenment. What's the best case scenario for them? So they could see this immediately. I love a great story of Yogananda when he met a student. He was just a child, I believe, maybe 10 years old. And he was taking a trip. And Yogananda warned his students. He said, I mean his parents, he said, don't let him take that trip. And anyway, they did. And he died on that trip. And Yogananda was just, oh, he was so, so dismayed. And so he said he went into meditation and he went through into the ethers and was trying to find him out in the astral plane, right? Find him, find him, find him. And then he, he found him. He knew that he was incarnating again and near in the, in the same vicinity, right? And so he said he would wander the streets and he would feel for him. He'd wander the streets, wander the streets, feel for him, feel for him. And then finally he knew that he was down this street. So he felt to knock on this door. He knocked on the door and he met these, this young couple. And he said, have you just had a child or are you pregnant? And the woman said, oh, we just had a child. He said, when he's around five years old, can you introduce him to me? <laughs> So they say that these masters will wait hundreds of lifetimes just to find that exact moment to meet if something ripens, you know, a karma ripens to meet again. So this is an extraordinary relationship, but it's, it's to know the difference, right, on the different levels. And it doesn't need to be a spiritual friend either, right? We're learning how to be more loving, more compassionate. So sometimes our teachers are not spiritual teachers, but they're the people in our lives that are just really amazing. So just to look out for those two, right? I know my first teacher was my dad. He was this really incredible man, and he was a pipe fitter, and I ended up being a pipe fitter. And in the Pipe Fitters Union, we have a five-year apprenticeship program, so we're you know, apprenticed. And I remember being in apprenticeships class and some of my fellow, um, the, the guys who are going through the apprenticeship program worked for my dad. They would get on his jobs and they'd think, oh man, I love your dad, man. He's so cool to work for. He's so awesome, you know. And the thing about my dad, is a rough and tough kind of industry, you know, construction and whatnot. And my dad had a really rough upbringing and it, and it really made my dad sensitive to others. And so what I noticed early on, you know, working for my dad, that he always ruled by compliments and by love, by kindness. That's how, that was just his mode of being. 
And then when I went to work for these other companies, I saw how rare that was. <laughs> and they ran by like the iron fist, you know, like be here on time, work harder, harder. I remember what this one guy said, you better not ever expect a compliment. If you're not fired, that's your compliment. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, tough love, right? That's as good as it gets. You know, so some of these, these beings in our lives, um, they might not wear robes and come from a lineage, <laughs> but they're great teachers. So whether or not we need a spiritual teacher, uh, for me, this is always a simple question. I mean, it's just like anything in life, it's great to have a mentor and a coach, right? Obviously, we have the talent for this. This is our own being. Right? We're going to figure it out eventually. No problem, right? We are the love that we're seeking. We are already what we're seeking. But we take an athlete, for example. Take like a Kobe Bryant, for example. Kobe Bryant, I think he entered the NBA at like 19 years old, if I'm not mistaken, like right out of high school, right? So take someone like Kobe Bryant, that's an amazing basketball player, amazing talent, and you think, you know, does he need a coach? He probably doesn't need a coach, but if he wanted to be in the NBA at 19 years old, it was probably good that he had a coach, right? <laughs> so depending on our level of commitment to the path, it's necessary for us to learn from somebody that's already done it. It's just simply unwise. Like, why would we flounder around when there's somebody that's already done it and that can, and that can help us along the way? And I think that the relationship with it, the intimacy of it, is to really see how this is integrated in our daily life. Like, having, having that relationship with those individuals could really expand our practice. So in other words, if we have a, a meditation teacher, it could expand our meditation aspect of our practice. But if we really get to know these teachers, we could see how does an enlightened being walk through life, moment to moment. And this is, can only be observed if we actually spend enough time with them. And it's quite amazing. How does a bodhisattva actually live life? I remember being around Lamba Zopa, and there's this one retreat I didn't attend this one. It was in New Zealand, I believe. And a monk friend of mine who, who was there said that they got there, and on just all around, there's some, it was uh, the season for these bugs. I don't know what kind they were, but he says these bugs were everywhere. And they were just on the ground, and you had to be really careful where you, where you step, and they were just lining the pass. So Lama Zopa had my friend go out for literally hours before the teaching, he just walked through all the paths and he had to pick up all the bugs and move them so people wouldn't step on them. You know? That was his job for like a week, <laughs> picking up bugs. And then he, he, he had to bless every bug. Oh, money, baby, oh, money, baby, oh, money, baby, oh. You know? And that was his whole practice. You know, Lama Zopa just constantly wanting to benefit others. You know, if they had a free moment, he'd go, he'd go send everyone to the bait store and go buy all the worms at the bait store. So go buy all the worms. And, they, and then they would go plant, you know, they'd go release them. 
call it animal liberation. So if they had nothing to do, uh, there they go, <laughs> off to the bait shops, you know, to free beans. And just incredible, just incredible to be around their kindness, how they treat others, how they really, really listen. So amazing, so incredible. And then we have just this osmosis that happens. This is probably the biggest benefit that we are who we hang around, that we're all swimming in a consciousness all the time. Sometimes our own consciousness, I'll speak for myself, isn't that friendly or enlightened. <laughs> but being around the awareness or consciousness of these great beings is incredible. It's incredible. Being in the presence. Lama Zopa, again, a fantastic example of this. Lama Zopa's English is not so good. And he speaks very, very fast. And he also has a condition when he escaped Tibet and landed in India. He got very, very sick and his lungs were scarred. So he coughs a lot. So it's very difficult. It's a fantastic meditation to go to a Lama Zopa talk just to be awake and aware and try to actually hear what he's saying because there's coughing and, and all this. And I'd always be amazed, because this is not the most pleasant. And he'd be super late, too, which is one of his beautiful teachings. You know, he'd be super late, and he'd be on a weekday night, and he'd be there all night long, too, which the Dalai Lama told him he couldn't do anymore. But literally, I remember the first time filming him, they said, oh, you're filming Lama's Open tonight? I said, yeah. And they said, oh, clear your schedule tomorrow. <laughs> and there I was, 4 o'clock in the morning, filming. So it wasn't pleasant. He didn't make it pleasant. But I remember I, I didn't hear anything that he said, and it didn't matter. Being in his presence was just absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I remember one time I was supposed to film a teaching, but it was a secret teaching. You would have to have an empowerment to get into this, this teaching. I didn't have that empowerment. So Lama Zopa said, you could, you could film the teaching, but don't listen. <laughs> And I thought, no problem, because I can't, I can't understand half the time anyway. And it didn't matter. Just being in his presence was so amazing. I remember interviewing uh, Tony Robbins one time, and he said he had a friend. They kind of came up through the ranks together, you know, and and he says, you know, how is it? We were coming up, we are getting success together, and, and we both made, you know, we both became millionaires around the same time. And he says, I'm still a millionaire, and you're a billionaire, to Tony Robbins. And he says, I want to spend some time with you and see what is it about your marketing, you know, your sales, your products, all this stuff, so I could see how to become a billionaire because you're I'm still just a millionaire. And he looks at him and he says, the only reason why I'm a billionaire and, I'm a, and you're still a millionaire is that I started hanging out with billionaires and you're still hanging out with millionaires. That's it. That's the reason. So if we start hanging around these teachers, we, we get into their awareness, their, their vibration, if you will, their awareness. And if we took a like if we did a Google Maps thing or a satellite to follow these teachers, I've mentioned this before, I just think it's the most amazing thing, is that we see these teachers and their entourage and 
just everyone around them and how everyone reacts around them. They, they literally are walking in this, this heavenly abode on earth, you know? Everybody is so kind around these teachers. Everyone's on their best behavior. Like if you watch the Dalai Lama go around, every, everyone he sees is an, is an angel, right? <laughs> They're on their, he says, man, this world's just amazing. Look at everyone being so nice to me, right? They're being so kind. Really, if you're like in their sphere of influence, you're just so kind, you know? And they would say like Lama Zopa's house, everyone's working for the benefit of all beings and, and Lama Zopa doesn't sleep. So the whole house is just awake. 24, it's benefiting all beings. And then Lama Zopa, they say he walks away and everyone falls asleep. <laughs> like, everyone goes to sleep. But he says, you could do it because you're around him and he's just a beautiful being, right? It's all this energy. So really coming into a space where we could sit and kind of marinate in that awareness, right? And, and this is to the point where the teacher is, is not in any way doing anything for us except holding our own essence for us until we remember, right? So it's not like we're, we're giving up anything to this teacher, right? We're completely self-reliant. They're pointing at it, and they're exemplifying it. So we're not looking to a Buddha, a Christ, a Krishna, and saying, you know, do it for me or that I'm not that. It is the teacher's uh, gift that they could see truly our essence and not for one, one moment forget that we are already a Buddha, but we have forgotten. Right? So they're holding on to that and then pointing that. Look over here for your Buddha nature. This is your Buddha nature. This is what you are. And then, of course, it's up to us to do it. So we're not giving away. I think there's some things that we're, you know, if, if you're really devotional, that we're giving away some kind of you know, uh, self-power or something like this. This is not the case. Somebody is actually holding that for us and exemplifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me personally, when I saw the kindness of these beings and the peacefulness of these beings, I just thought, man, I, wanna, I want that. I want to be that peaceful. How could I be that peaceful? I want to embody that. And of course, if you listen, they say, you're just like that. You know, this is what I did to get there. You, know, you can be like this. I just forgot something I wanted to say. <laughs> so I thought we'd do a little meditation right now and maybe just reflect personally on these these mentors in our lives and maybe um, what they have meant to us And maybe if we're looking for guidance, maybe tune into what it is we want to see manifest, right? If we have something that we are looking for guidance on, maybe just tuning into that. What is it exactly? Maybe having a little, a little prayer that we receive the guidance that we need if there's an area in our life that we wouldn't mind some guidance on. So I'll guide us through a little 
meditation. Maybe first just coming into the body, coming into the breath, collecting the awareness just here in this moment. Maybe taking a few breaths just a little bit deeper than usual and allowing the body Let go and let be on the exhalation. And then next, allowing to come to mind the teachers in your life. And again, these don't have to be specifically spiritual teachers. It could be parents, friends, coaches, school teachers, just friends. And just reflecting on what it meant have that relationship and the importance of it in your life. And of course, you could think of more than one.
And then allowing some, some gratitude to arise if, if you haven't already. And getting deeper into this, this essence of gratitude for this relationship, for this individual, for the wisdom that came along with it. It's an age-old saying, when the student is ready, a teacher appears. And are you ready for something? Maybe making a request, uh, setting the intention. Now you are ready for a new learning, a new experiential understanding. I'm just asking that it's provided
It's a little story about how sometimes it's easier to have faith in somebody else until we can cultivate that ourselves. And, and there was this master, and he heard that one of his students could walk on water. And so he went to the student and said, hey, I heard you could walk on water. He says, yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> he says, I just, with every step, I walk on water, and I just chant your, I chant your name. He says, with every step, you hold me, and it's like solid ground. I just walk right across the water. And the master says, wow, you know, to himself, it's pretty amazing. I can't walk on water, but maybe there's something I'm missing about myself that seems so great. And he says, I'll walk on water. So he goes, and he tries to run across the water, and with every step, he says, I, 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 and he just sinks. <laughs> So sometimes this devotion in another could, could help us to, to buoy up until we find these things that are within ourselves. Right? They're just kind of holding that space for us until then. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.